0: This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging.
1: We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today.
0: Hello and welcome to Give and Tote Cannabis Conversations, the show that aims to elevate the conversation about cannabis to a higher level. I'm your host Paul and today we welcome Ave Pugliali. Member of the Victorian Legislative Council for the North Eastern Metropolitan Region. An artist by background, completing studies at Australia's most renowned drama colleges, Ave experienced firsthand the toll that the COVID 19 pandemic took on Australia's artist community, an injustice that led him to joining the Greens and being elected to Parliament in November 2022. With the portfolios of young people, education, legalizing cannabis, and drug harm reduction, Ave Pugliali is the essence of walking the talk when it comes to trying to make a difference in politics. If you like what you hear on today's show, please make sure you follow and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. To stay in the loop with everything that's happening on the podcast and more, please follow us on Instagram at GiveAndTalk. But for now, please enjoy my conversation with Ave Pugliali. got to say you've got one of the more stylish mp photos that's out there a turtleneck's back or did they never go out of style
1: oh i reckon they're back if i have anything to do with it there's still an ongoing conversation about whether or not i'll get away with it in an ongoing basis in the chamber but uh, particularly this time of year can't go wrong with a good turtleneck i am
0: actually curious about that so i understand you have to wear a tie in parliament what other weird rules have you discovered as you've entered the fray
1: well it's This is the thing. My understanding is that it's expressed as business attire and it's by discretion of the president of the chamber. That's my understanding of how it works. And so there is a bit of a quiet agenda between myself and one or two of the other progressive crossbenchers about how much we can get away with. And so it's a step at a time, see how long it takes them to notice I mean, particularly as a young person in this parliament, it can feel very alien to what was my lived experience before being in this place. And so uh, I'd like to hopefully, by the time this term ends, to have arrived at a place where people can just reflect themselves as they are in a way that's still professional, but, you know, is more perhaps relevant to someone under 30 in Victoria. Such a great point. I think even the whole suit
0: idea in a country that constantly has 35 degree days is pretty whack anyway. So I really appreciate that you're fighting that good fight. It's one of many good fights you're fighting. I want to talk to you today about what the Victorian Greens are doing with cannabis at a state level, having had David Shoebridge on the show recently to talk about the federal plan. I want to talk about the links there and also have a conversation about drug use in Victoria in a broader sense and concepts around harm reduction. But what I first wanna start with was your pathway into politics. I understand it was the pandemic and particularly the government's lack of support for artists that really kind of sent you down this path. So how did you get to this stage today?
1: Yeah, so as you've noted, it was a series of events that, you know, unsuspectingly have led me to this position. Basically came straight out of university um, studying theater and obviously lockdowns um, being here in Victoria, they arrived quite quickly. In the space of a week, my sector pretty much shut down. <laughs> it felt like it was overnight. And, you know, initially we didn't know how long this was going to go on for. And everything was sort of existentially in flux. And then in Victoria obviously it went on for quite a lengthy period and then it was off and then it was on and then it was off. And, you know, tracking those case numbers and doing what we needed to keep needed to do to keep people safe. But at that time, you know, we were under the Scott Morrison government federally. There was little to no support going to the sector at, from that level at that time. And so myself and pretty much every one of my colleagues in that industry were unable to get JobKeeper, the thing that was going around at the time. From the state level, there were grants you had to compete for uh, in, in order to be remunerated for a time that we're all in lockdown and unable, most of us unable to work. So coming from a theatre background at that time, a lot of the work that I was doing had to, I had to shift to really the online parts of that job. And so that was leading on more my trade in the composing and sound design kind of part of the work that I've done. And so then coming out of COVID, the muscles that had been in use the lockdown era had really been working sort of with the creative team in in a theatre context and also in sort of short film documentary, that kind of work. But nonetheless, at that time when we were in lockdown, the fact that there was no support for the sector or what felt like no support, and yet you have all of this time on your hands. There was that period where we were bound to the five kilometre radius and you know I was in the outer northeastern suburbs where I didn't have really any colleagues around me. And so a lot of that energy I directed to local political activism, and um, it was around the time of the council elections, and so I got really involved with the Greens at the sort of organising level at that time. And for the of suburban context, is you know, there's not there's not that many of us running the broad operation in that that part of town, and so next step, I was secretary of a local branch, and then we were you know, we got our first councillor in, who's now the mayor, and then we had obviously the really phenomenal federal campaign that saw us end the reign of ScoMo <laughs> and then you know from there very quickly uh, I put my hand up for the north Eastern metropolitan upper house seat at the state level uh, not necessarily thinking I was going to get through but wanting it to be contested because it was a potentially winnable seat and it's important that we have people who are reflective of the community more broadly in these positions and then um You know, next thing I was pre-selected and then it was a very sort of short campaign coming right after federal and eventually the outcome was that I, you know, didn't quite expect it, but I got through. And so now I'm in this position as the youngest MP in the current state parliament, one of very few queer MPs in that space. And so I do think that there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that to really be that voice to some parts of the community that don't really get to be at the table when it comes to political decision-making. And so it's, it's been quite humbling being in this position and doing that work.
0: It's a really interesting story. And I'm impressed by the fact that you put your money where your mouth is. You saw an injustice, you stood up and now you're taking your responsibility really seriously. Like you're obviously now going to have the opportunity to be the voice for underrepresented parts of our community. And you understand how important that is. So it's great to see you. Knowing your responsibility, taking it so seriously, but also maintaining who you are, A.ve like you're not just another MP in a suit.
1: That's right, and it um it it is really uh, humbling. I think is the word that you know. I try as much as I can to make this what is quite an inaccessible place, as in the state parliament, as accessible and um, as transparent as possible to the community and particularly young people online. It's it's quite overwhelming at times the responses that you get in your comment section or in your DMs on aside to what is you know politics and, and government and state parliament and things that they hadn't necessarily been privy to before and ways that they can get involved ways that they can take action as young people as parts of our LGBTQA plus community, artists or subject of discussion today, people who use drugs in our community who really often don't have enough of our political class going into bat for them.
0: What are your responsibilities within the Greens? What portfolios are you responsible for?
1: Yeah. So being one of eight Greens MPs across the two chambers, lower and upper house, my portfolios are, well, younger people being one, which is kind of to me a lens into all of the issues under the sun because everything affects young people, but also education right through the broad, you know, early years to university, as well as legalizing cannabis and drug harm reduction, something that I think there's heaps of work to be done on uh, in the current state political context. And I think really trying to drive the conversation forward in what can be quite a conservative social context at the state level.
0: So let's talk about the greens and cannabis at a state level. I met you at Politics in the Pub on 420 along with David Shoebridge there to primarily talk about the federal legalization plan. And David really brought up an interesting point that I hadn't considered. I think as a Victorian, I like to believe that legalization was probably going to come here first, recreational adult use legalization. But he seems to frame it as... It's probably more likely to happen at a federal level because there aren't all these existing bad laws. So, what are the state Victorian Greens doing to kind of support the federal plan? And also, what are the individual responsibilities of the state? Kind of, because I imagine there's some competing priorities here.
1: Yeah, look, it's a good thought and I, I definitely am open to the competition of which part of which level of government's going to get there first when it comes to legalising, like happy to to run that race. I think David is right in the sense that there is definitely a pathway to legalisation from the federal sphere and I think it's something that definitely needs to be explored with a, with a lot of oomph behind it because I think, as you sort of noted just then in the question, there is this interaction for people between all the layers of government, like you know, to a member of our community, they've got local, state and federal government all overlapping in their area, addressing different parts of legislation and key issues. And when it comes to legalization of cannabis, it involves all of those layers. And so the conversation around legalization and the momentum needed for that issue to to continue to push towards a progressive outcome, it is a responsibility for us at the state level to work with the feds to advance that conversation forward. And so Something that I've really loved seeing from the federal space is that it's with the draft bill that the Greens have, it's it's pushed the conversation into a place of imagining this is what legalisation could look like here in Australia. This is a, this is a model and um, there's the survey, the consultation, where hearing directly from community the way that they engage with cannabis as an issue, um, people who use drugs and also more broadly in the community um what they would like to see this conversation look like and what they would like to see legalization look like. So it's been inspiring having the feds really set forward some of that vision on, you know, regulation of cultivation, licensing, sale of cannabis, a legal national market, really advancing that conversation forward. So yeah, look, if the feds get there first would would be amazing. We we want to see progress on this issue, but also from the state level, We know that both from the Greens' perspective, but also working collaboratively with the rest of the progressive part of the crossbench and across the chamber. There are steps that we can take to advance towards legalization here in this state
0: i guess it kind of serves the point of the different governments you know the federal are looking at the big picture you guys have to look much closer at the source and see what really can be done in our context because it's probably hard to admit but as a victorian i sometimes forget what's going on in any other section of the country and it's because we have such unique circumstances here just like every other state does so it's really great to hear that the wheels are in motion there might be some healthy competition there about who might get there first Ultimately, they support each other. Speaking about the crossbench and working with the crossbench in Victoria, legalized Cannabis Victoria managed to get two members into the chamber this year, which is hugely exciting. And one of the first things that has come up is their amendment to the Drug Driving Act. And they're trying to get medical patients no longer discriminated against in Victoria because... You test positive to THC, you can't drive anymore, irrespective of when you've had it. And we might dig in a little bit to the debate because that was the first time you actually came to my attention. You spoke incredibly well about the Greens' position and the Greens' support for these changes. What's it like working with that crossbench and what things do you hope to achieve together?
1: Look, it's in short, it's a very exciting time to be a progressive in state parliament. Um, Having the two legalised cannabis MPs in there as well as Georgie from Animal Justice we really have a lot of momentum for progress when it comes to a range of issues, including legalisation. So far, as the you know drug harm reduction spokesperson from the Greens' perspective, it's been really great to work with um, Rachel and David from Legalized Cannabis on different pathways that we can take in advancing this issue, coordinating where we can to ensure that we're getting the right responses that we want from government and pursuing an agenda of legalisation. And there are steps on that path including driving legislation for people who use medicinal cannabis in the community a really important thing to come before us but also future conversations around you know decriminalization of personal use a potential model for taxation regulation that leads towards a legal market when it comes to the legislation with regard to medicinal cannabis users you know using their prescription medication and and wanting to be able to drive we do have this loophole that currently exists in the legislation that really should have been addressed back when medicinal cannabis was brought forward here in this state, wherein people, they're not under the effects of cannabis, but they want to participate in their broader community by being able to drive. And we know many parts of Victoria, frankly, need to be able to drive to get around and participate in society. Uh, And yet currently there is that gap in the legislation that needs to be addressed. Um, Look, the debate which was um, led by Rachel Payne from Legalised Cannabis was a really exciting moment in advancing the rights of people who use medicinal medicinal pardon me, cannabis in the community. The thing that I found quite troubling about it was this sense of double speak that we would receive from the government. It, it sounds like in a lot of the public media commentary that they do acknowledge that this is a shortcoming in the current legislation and they want to see an improvement, but you know, the time frame for when that would occur. Are they going to support legislation like that brought forward by um, legalized cannabis in in the chamber? that to me is a lot more opaque. and Some of the debate responses that we saw through the debate on that bill to me exposed to these internal sort of factional disagreements that exist within the Labor Party and within our government, at times often really pivoting the debate away from an assessment of impairment for people who are on our roads as opposed to punishment for people having THC in their bloodstream or oral fluid. There's definitely a long way to go, but it is an exciting time to work collaboratively with progressives on the crossbench to advance the conversation around legalization and the rights of people who use cannabis in the community.
0: I'm really glad you acknowledged that because I, I felt a little bit as I watched that debate, and particularly upon reflection, there was a lot of talk about how positive it was and how exciting it was. And I think in retrospect, I kind of evaluated each person's position. There was a lot of indecision there and there was a lot of kind of looking for an option that doesn't exist. There's a lot of talk about an impairment test moving away from the conversation about it being discriminatory. So it's like, we're very excited about this technology, technology that we know doesn't yet exist properly conversations about the size of the the draft bill there really were a few times where I thought the conversation was just being completely derailed and while I'm cautiously optimistic that this bill will go ahead because it's the right thing to do it is just hard to kind of think that it's a sure thing given the inconsistencies in some of the response and even the government's inconsistent response.
1: Yeah look I mean as a newcomer to the state parliament I'm I'm still holding out hope for what is an adjourned debate um that there might still be a good outcome here from the government based on their public sort of media commentary that as you've said um this uh, amendment towards the road safety act that would you know enable what is a cohort of the community who are using you know their prescription medication being able to participate in society being able to drive their vehicle really I think that the overwhelming sense of genuine information that was provided in the debate from people who knew what they were talking about was that, you know, this is a loophole that needs to be addressed. We can move forward on this issue. And it's from my perspective, it's whether or not there is enough pressure to push Labor to overcome its own internal pressures on this issue that are holding it back from meeting the needs of people who use medicinal cannabis in the community.
0: Yeah. And as you mentioned, you know, this should have been addressed when it came to fruition back in 2016. So here we are seven years later, kind of really arguing over what is a loophole. So fingers crossed that that looks better sooner rather than later. I do want to talk to you more about drug laws in Victoria and drugs in Victoria in a broader sense. But before we do, I'm hoping you might be up for playing a game. How do you feel about that?
1: Yeah, let's go for it.
0: Excellent. So this is MPs Behaving Badly Part 3, with Fiona Patton and David Shoebridge having completed Part 1 and 2. All these questions pertain to Australian political scandals. There's five multiple choice questions. Here we go. Question 1. In August 2022, it was revealed that then Prime Minister Scott Morrison had secretly sworn himself into a number of government ministries. Which of the following roles did Scott Morrison not swear himself into? Was it Minister for Health? Minister for Finance or Minister for Women? Oh,
1: my goodness. Oh, what a time. Uh, oh, I feel like my memory is, I think it was Tony Abbott that made himself Minister for Women. I feel like Morrison may have not taken that one on.
0: That is correct. Indeed. Even though Jenny has a way of clarifying things and he's got daughters, he still didn't swear himself in as Minister for Women. So you have got one from one. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Question two, former Labor Senator Sam Dastyari left politics in 2016 after it was revealed he had undeclared expenses related to Chinese donors. What cultural food dish did Dastyari champion in the years before his political demise? Was it Taco Tuesday, Butter Chicken or the HSP?
1: I cannot remember this one.
0: Uh... I'm showing my age
1: on this one. No, 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 no. I should know this one. Um, I want to say Butter Chicken. Mm,
0: denied. It was the HSP and I'd never heard of it before then. So I'm very grateful for that. And it really pissed off Pauline Hanson too. So a real double whammy. I found a food dish I love and Pauline Hanson was upset. Perfect. <laughs> Question three. Former Victorian Premier and notorious hospital defunder, job slasher and school closer Jeff Kennett described recent allegations of racism against hawthorne football club as what well deserved and a cause for reflection a
1: blimp on the radar or a bump along the highway oh look as soon as it as soon as we go into the sphere of football in any form i think my eyes glaze over and i start to (laughs) drift off into another place i i honestly don't know the answer to this one uh blip blip on the radar Denied. So
0: I actually purposely mispronounced that one as a tribute to my friend Tony, who mispronounces blip on the radar as blimp on the radar. But unfortunately, it was a bump along the highway, which is a phrase that does not exist. He also describes it as unfair. So, you know, that's the quality of leader we've had in Victoria before. Yeah, it sounds about right. Question four. In 2013, Queensland state politician Peter Dowling stood aside as chair of the Parliamentary Ethics Committee after a scandal which earned him the nickname, The Plonker. What earned him this nickname? He paid a professional basketballer to dunk on him? He put his appendage in a wine glass and sent the photo to a former mistress? Or he fell into the ocean whilst touring the Great
1: Barrier Reef? I feel like these are progressively things that I know less and less and less about. I'm (laughs) going to say falling into the ocean. I'm not winning today.
0: I'm going to put that down to your optimism, though, because unfortunately it was the gross one. He put his appendage in a wine glass and sent the photo to a former mistress. So thank you to the Guardian for that question. And this next one is kind of gross, too. Question five and lucky last. The former Northern Territory Sports Minister Nathan Barrett resigned in 2016 after filming himself in an explicit manner in his office, sending it unsolicited to a woman. When a constituent complained about his behaviour on Facebook, he said what? I apologise unreservedly. I don't recall the event. Or it was a Sunday.
1: All right. Um I hope I'm incorrect here, but was it C?
0: that is correct oh yep he simply put it down to the day of the week making it completely fine didn't matter about you know the code of ethics or parliamentary etiquette or conduct it was a sunday and he's entitled to do that in his office apparently and this is a guy who also had fake facebook profiles to troll labor politicians and small businesses so he's a pretty cool guy wow well you scored two out of five on politicians behaving badly let's hope you're not one of them down the track
1: yay fingers crossed (laughs)
0: All right, moving on to talking about drug laws in Victoria in a broader sense. What is it that's kind of grinding your gears the most as a Greens MP right now? What are the fights being fought when it comes to drugs and drug harm reduction in Victoria?
1: Well, the issue as I see it right now is that we talk about ourselves as the progressive state in so many ways. And yet when it comes to drug harm reduction and drug law reform, it's like we're so far behind so many other jurisdictions, both in Australia and abroad really the conversation around people who use drugs in our community and drug use is that it you know it should be treated as a health issue and it shouldn't really be what we historically have seen this you know focus on criminalizing people for the use of drugs in our community i think you know the, the thing that i it doesn't really make sense to me is that when we're in our chamber and we're talking about drug use it's like to many of the people in that chamber it's like they won't acknowledge that drug use does happen in the community and that is a real thing, and it's like you know, us talking about it and just saying no, no, doesn't make that go away. And so we have to have a really frank conversation about okay, you know, drugs are present in our community and people use them. And rather than punishing those people and criminalizing them, how can we be providing health support to our community? How can we be focusing on harm reduction? Um, we also, of course, see a really punitive approach with minor drug law offenses that disproportionately affect marginalized communities here in Victoria incarcerating them not only is that on a you know human rights and social impact and community front so problematic but we also know that it's costing our state squillions of dollars every year and it just does not make sense to me that this approach has not changed over time it's like we're stuck several decades ago in a time where we were you know this so-called war on drugs. I mean, if that war exists, we've failed it. Surely we've lost that war. And so it's time to move on. It's time to have a health conversation, a rights-based conversation for community around drug use so that we can provide reform that keeps people safe and allows community to come together and you know people still to contribute to the to the spaces around them
0: i was fortunate to spend a couple of years in vancouver that has an incredibly progressive approach to drugs not a foolproof approach to drugs not a flawless one but they're willing to try things during the COVID lockdown the city council were providing a safe supply of heroin because of the fentanyl crisis we've seen decriminalization of all hard drugs in vancouver in the last 18 months it's really interesting to go to a place like that and see That these ideas can exist. Addiction is not the opposite of sobriety, it's the opposite of connection. So people are struggling, that's why they use drugs and abuse drugs. Why is it that conservatives are so unable to accept that people use drugs and to think, you know, much like poverty is brought upon yourself, you know, you're poor, you just don't have a good enough job, thanks, Joe Hockey. You're a drug user because you're a loser, because you're just not contributing to society like the rest of us. Why are they so unable to see the humanity in this?
1: to be honest, unless it affects them personally or it's affected their, you know, maybe their close family, a lot of the time people don't come to terms with this reality that that people are using drugs in our community. And, you know, how do we advance the conversation from here? It's at times seemingly in the debate, like a willful ignorance to the fact that drug use does occur um, broadly in Victoria and that it's about making sure that we can reduce harm to community and keep people safe. I mean, it came up, immediately in the conversation quite recently in making the North Richmond Medically Supervised Injecting Room permanent, this, you know, conversation around, you know, we've had reviews into this service that's providing critically important life-saving health care to the community, particularly people who use drugs, people who use injecting drugs in the community. And Rather than, you know, adopting all of those recommendations around um, ensuring people can access the site, ensuring the service is available to people more broadly in Victoria, you know, taking what's worked and and expanding it to where it needs to be and being able to respond to data when when and where it's offered. Instead, the conversation was really watered down to this place where, again, it's like where several decades passed in as if this legislation was going to judge whether or not people should be using drugs. like That was never the intention. It's, It's the reality that people are using drugs in the community and how do we keep them safe and how do we avoid overdose deaths and how do we address the wraparound health needs of our community at large.
0: Obviously, supporters of good policy would understand that the North Richmond injecting room has been a huge success. I'm curious, does the existence of that make injecting room number two way easier to bring about? Or is the fight for number two going to be just as hard and just as arduous as the fight for this one has been?
1: Well, it, look, it's a, it's a difficult question. I mean, I, as a newcomer to this parliament, my understanding is that that North Richmond medically supervised injecting room, it was a long, long battle to get that room established. And of course, it's terrific that now it is um, on, made ongoing. And that, you know, we've got this success rate and its capacity to save lives and offer really important healthcare to many people in the community and establish contact with a whole range of wraparound services for people who are using the site. As you've noted, there is still definitely a conversation around future sites like that one to be available when and where they're needed to keep people safe here in Victoria. Um, I, I note that in even just the past week, there's been a whole conversation around the continued push for a, for a site in the CBD here in Melbourne to again make sure that care is extended to people who need it in that area, but we know that there's you know the Kenlay report soon to be before us with further data. There's historic reports into supervised injecting here in this state that tells us that having access to a service like this when and where it's needed is it's going to prevent overdose deaths that could have otherwise been avoided and it's going to enable us to address health needs of people who are using, injecting drugs in the community. I think making healthcare, that is drug harm reduction, more accessible and more available is only going to keep communities safer. It also comes up when it comes to drug checking and and pill testing. It's something that under the current Premier's leadership here in Victoria, we've really seen this conservative pressure trying to subdue the conversation and and not advance it further. When we have the opportunity, we have this progressive crossbench here in the upper house, we could be making so much of this opportunity for reform here in Victoria. And I think a lot of it just comes down to political will and pressure placed on our government.
0: There are clearly some big blockades to good policy, you know, long-held bad ideas about drugs, conservative ideals in, you know, a quote-unquote progressive state. We spoke a little earlier about the big picture vision that the federal Greens have for cannabis legalisation. Big picture, what would the Greens do if they were in power? What is the Greens' vision for drug reform and drug laws in Victoria?
1: Yeah, look, it's um, this is where we need to shift the conversation to, so I'm glad that you're asking this. It's, I think, important that we, alongside other progressive parts of the chamber and the crossbench, people with expertise... In this area of policy, developing the system that we have now into one where we're decriminalising personal drug use, we're talking about regulation of supply, we're talking about making sure that wraparound services and and health support is available to people who use drugs in the community, not criminalising those who are using drugs in the community. A pathway towards regulation of of drugs like cannabis, taxation of those products so that we can have, you know, how does it interact with the broader economy? Our conversation around, are are we growing at home? What is the community-based model that ensures that we are lifting people up in this conversation and empowering them to really like lead their own lives with purpose and contribute to their community? A pathway towards what... Keeps people safe, keeps people healthy, but also acknowledges the rights that they have that people do take drugs in our community and let's not punish them for that.
0: I know that you recently spent some time in Bendigo at the Groove and the Moo Festival. That is my hometown, and I am lucky to have been to a couple myself. And to me, the most exciting thing was seeing Flavor Flav in country Victoria. But you had a chance to speak to people about pill testing. What is it that people on the ground are saying? What's the general consensus?
1: Well, this is the thing, when I went to this festival um, quite recently, you know, I expected people to be quite supportive of um, and of drug checking and, and pill testing available um, on site for an event like that. The thing that really amazed me was that not a single person, not a single person, be it attendee, be it staff member, be it medical professional on site, not a single one opposed the idea of pill testing in relation to a festival like that one of that scale. The thing that also surprised me was how many people who were in attendance weren't aware that currently in Victoria, that service is not offered. I think they perhaps hear about other state or territory jurisdictions in this country or elsewhere where that type of service is available, like in Canberra or soon to be in Queensland, and as soon as it was put to them, we're trying to get this law changed to enable people to have access to pill testing for a festival like this one. People said, of course, of course, that is absolutely something that we would want and you know, it's the reality that we're not going to stop people from taking these drugs. They're out there. It's ensuring that people know what they're taking, they know how much they're taking and they're able to therefore be afforded the most safe version of, of taking the drug that we can and ensuring that we can have an understanding of what's in circulation here in Victoria.
0: Being a representative for young people, what is it that, you know, what's your call to action for young people? What do we need to be doing? You know, I'm an avid email writer to my MPs. I've obviously started a podcast to share the stories of phenomenal people that are operating in this space. But what can the average person do to push these causes, share the information, share the knowledge?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question um, and one that I actually get asked quite a lot. And I think what I usually start with is like this place, as I mentioned earlier, is really, I feel like almost deliberately so, designed to be inaccessible to many people in the community. It is a particular, often, I think, class of people who become state parliamentarians. Perhaps their parent has been an MP previously. There's a real divide when it comes to lived experience from a range of different backgrounds being presented in our chambers of parliament. The thing that I would say to young people is put your hand up, get involved, collectivised, if there is an issue that you care about, and I'm sure there's a range of issues that are affecting young people right now, be it the rental crisis, be it climate, be it drug law reform, you name it. When we come together and we apply pressure on your local MP, but also more broadly on the government petitions, showing up at rallies, you name it, that pressure does lead to outcomes. And And we have a system that I think can so easily try and siphon away that hope and that momentum that's out there in the community for reform. And I think when we come together and we support each other, that is when we can really drive the progressive outcomes here in this state. And so I, I definitely wanna say to young people, put your hand up, step up, we can do this.
0: Ave, I'm so incredibly grateful for the enthusiasm that you have for these causes. I'm in my mid-30s now. I still remember the first time I got to vote, I was excited. You know, I, I felt grateful for that opportunity. And over the last 16 years since I've been allowed to vote, it's been a roller coaster of emotions. There's times where I feel like it's been completely pointless. There's times where I feel engaged. And I really have felt a lot more engaged since you've come along, you know, seeing your first speech, seeing what you presented in the debate around the Drug Driving Act hearing your enthusiasm, hearing how seriously you take this. I just want to take a second to just really say thank you.
1: No, thank you. And I mean, hearing from you and the support that you've given thus far in my term, it's really amazing. And, you know, thanks to you as well for the work that you do with podcasts like this one, advocating in the community for drug law reform. It's There's a lot to do, but I think working together, we can get there. And it's just one day at a time.
0: I've DM'd a lot of MPs in my time and no one has ever written back referring to something being a vibe. So I'm very appreciative of that. So thank you.
1: That's a vibe. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Okay. I've got a couple of listener questions here. This first one is from Phil in Heidelberg. Has anybody ever confused your name for the abbreviation of audio visual?
1: Ooh. No, but I feel like now that that's been mentioned, it will happen.
0: (laughs) Okay, this one's from me. Has your mum figured out what to do with her soft plastics yet?
1: No, and this is the thing. She's still adding to it. (laughs) She's adding (laughs) to the pile. There's this huge pile in the lounge room. Yeah, no. When I when I visit, I go like, I I don't know. She doesn't doesn't want to take advice on it, and I'm hopeful that there will be an avenue soon that it can be. dealt with that that soft plastic recycling conversation but yeah like this is a thing it's out there in the community people want to do the right thing and keep our environment and our planet healthy and clean and And it's important that like on drug law reform our parliaments step up to enable them to do so
0: i hear the real cause of the housing crisis actually that people are renting second homes to store their soft plastic so i'm on to your mum there i'm on to her
1: heard it here first folks <laughs>
0: Do you see a relationship between the LGBTQIA community and the cannabis community?
1: Look, it's a good question. I think there's a range of different groups in our community that are marginalized. And as is often the case, people might be marginalized from a, a variety of different parts of their of who they are. And it's important that, you know, like in the drug harm reduction space, we are lifting people up and we are supporting each other and that we are broadly in the political conversation ensuring that people are protected from further marginalization, vilification, hate, you name it, and we have to take care of each other, really.
0: There's definitely an opportunity within cannabis as an emerging industry, as it becomes legal across the world, to kind of engage some of the people that have been left out of other industries. You know, people of color, female, the queer community, any marginalized group. And I see a great conversation about that. I'm still yet to see it in action. And I think the queer community are underrepresented in the cannabis community, despite Being a big part of it. You know, I think Dennis Perrin, who was a gay activist in California, an ex army vet, wrote Proposition 215, which led to legal medical cannabis in California, which is really, you know, the bedrock in which we stand upon today. So there's clearly a role in history there. So let's just hope that in time that voice is elevated and can be heard. Absolutely. And the last question also from me should we expect a sequel to Pond? When is Pond 2 coming out?
1: Oh, the best question. Um, I am very hopeful to say yes. I, as you can imagine, in the job that I'm doing now, it's difficult to find time. But there, there will be a time when another sort of fever dream light pond comes into being and I look forward to that day.
0: That is exactly how I described it as I watched it as well. I'm like, I'm not, I haven't even consumed any cannabis yet. This is weird. I loved it. I loved it. So for those who don't know what we're talking about, it's a great short film. I'll link it in the show notes below. So, Ave, thank you for all your time today. Thank you for answering the questions. The last segment is Polls of Wisdom. And this is where you offer one key takeaway for the listener from our conversation today. If there's one thing you want them to think about, know or do, what is it?
1: I would say our parliament slash government relies on us being inactive to maintain the status quo. We can do the opposite of that. We can collectivise and we can galvanise around these issues that we care about and take action to push our parliamentarians to do the right thing. And if they're not doing the right thing, we put our hand up and we do the work ourselves. I think that's the pathway forward here.
0: Absolutely love it. So where can our listeners find you online? Where should they check you out?
1: Ooh, good question. Um, So on most platforms, I'm going to be listed as uh, under the handle AVE Goes Green. Um, otherwise, just chuck um, AVE into Google and it's not exactly a common name. So you're probably going to see me come up pretty soon. Some pretty great branding there. Thank you. Thank you.
0: <laughs> AVE Pugliali, you are a huge asset to Victoria. Young people, queer people, Victorians in general are so grateful to have you. And thank you so much for your
1: time today. Thanks. Have a great afternoon. Good to chat.
0: Give and Toke Cannabis Conversations is written and produced by me, Paul. Music written and produced by Big Mike. Follow us on Instagram at Toke or get in touch by emailing giveandtoke at gmail.com. You'll also find us on both Twitter and Facebook. All opinions expressed by program guests are solely their current opinions and do not necessarily reflect the position of Give and Toke. Content discussed in this show does not constitute medical advice. Cannabis is not legal everywhere, so please be aware of local laws.